You know, God is extraordinary. Um, I very nearly wasn't here this weekend. Um, you know, to be honest, I'm guilty of uh, making God sometimes just a Sunday morning God. Because when the chips are down, I don't always turn to God. But um, this weekend, I have to finish looking after two elderly parents. One's my mother, she's here in Hertfordshire. One's my stepmother, she's in Somerset, 150 miles away. So, um, you know, my, my mother, is, is her mental health is declining and I'm having to deal with everything of hers. And I, and I turned and I gave up trying to control it and we actually started praying about things and asking people for help. So this weekend, people who are in this church or have been in this church in the past came along and helped me deal with the physical moving stuff out of my mum's flat. And, you know, I've got till Monday to get this flat clear. But then at the end of a day of moving furniture and, and stuff like that, I got a phone call from my stepmother and she said, I called an ambulance. Because my diabetes is so bad, I can't get my blood sugars up. So, <laughs> Amy and I had this bizarre conversation about borrowing Chris's car and driving 150 miles to Somerset to, I don't know what, you know, uh, whether she'd be in hospital or what have you. And, and in a moment, I finally went, Do you know what, we need to pray. <laughs> Let's pray about this. So we prayed. Um, and I had, um, and, and for the first time in a long time, I had a real peace in my heart that she would be okay. I didn't really, you know, but I didn't, like, God didn't reveal anything. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to do that. No. And, and, and then Amy was like, do you know what? Should we get other people to pray? And um, so she got on the, fate, oh, I don't know what you got on, but you contacted about, Ten other people in the church or something, and they and so, you know, so, so several of us prayed, and I sat there thinking I'm going to spend you know the rest of tonight waiting and and trying to phone her and see if she's alive in the morning and what have you, and um, and I got this phone call like 15 minutes later or 20 minutes later or something, and it was my stepmother. She goes, "Well, the ambulance has arrived." Now you might think, "So what?" When you live in Wookie in the middle of Somerset, you know, your ambulance might take two and a half hours to arrive. So the ambulance has arrived, and my blood sugar levels have just gone up again. <laughs> and it was brilliant. So, and, and she's not a Christian, but I think she's a seeker, and I think God wants to reach her. And I said, I couldn't think what to say. So I said, you know, I don't really want to bang God's drum, as in, like, God can bang his own drum. You know, not that, do you know what I mean? I was like, but I think we've got more people praying for you now than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> so it was great to be able to share with her that, um, you know, people praying and asking God for favor had, had probably, well, no, had done this. I mean, I just, he's done it. I don't know how he's done it. <laughs> It's a miracle. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Morning. Come on, that was a nice, warm welcome. 
I like a nice noisy church, so just to encourage you, please be noisy. Kids, that's a welcome, be noisy. I've already apologized to most of the children. It's my fault that there's no kids work today. A slight error in planning means there was no kids work. I apologize, kids and parents. Uh, but I've said if you want to heckle, if you want to snore, any of that stuff, you're welcome to, and you wouldn't be the first or last. Um, who's looking forward to um, prayer and fasting? Come on. <laughs> I actually think some of that was genuine, which is good. <laughs> we, um, I just while I've been praying, I, 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 Robin's not in here, but worship in this place, your worship leaders really know how to dwell in the presence of God. Uh, and I just love coming here because it is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And I think that, that's what God's promise is. His promise is that he would come and dwell with his people. And uh, last, Colin and Jane led a prayer meeting last time, and we just spent more than half of it just worshipping, just spending time in the presence of God. Uh, and Psalm 63 came to me, and it was like, I have invited you to look upon me in the sanctuary, in the private space. You can look upon my power and glory. And I just feel like the, this prayer and fasting, there's a real invitation to, to do more of that, to spend more time dwelling in the presence of God and looking upon his power and glory and, you know, if you've not had that revelation in your heart of his glory or that invitation into his presence, then just, I just encourage you to join prayer and fasting. Uh, it, fasting is not always easy, but it does bring joy and, and life. Uh, I was listening to a podcast. This is not my sermon, so I'm sorry. I was listening to a podcast just last week uh, about fasting. And they were saying, actually, the early church has always fasted. It used to fast Wednesdays and Fridays every single week. It's only within the last hundred years that the Western church has stopped fasting. And that's a provocation, isn't it? Only that hundred years isn't that long ago. It's nearly the, the reign of the queen. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> it's not that long. But even now you speak to people in the Western church and some people are like, fasting? We had someone at Trinity who's like, what do you mean you fast? What's that? What is fasting? Like, what are you doing? And it's like, okay, we need to wake up. We, we need to wake up. We need to fast. Jesus told us to fast. I encourage you to fast. It's a great practice. Um, I'm going to start a, a sermon series today, uh, and it is just about, the, about discipleship. It's about discipleship in an instant society. Uh, it's, looking, it's using this book by Eugene Peterson, um, as well as the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, this is, no, sorry. Um, I'm not going to go there. So discipleship, he looks at the Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalm 120 to 134, uh, and he just helps you go through. They are not the easiest Psalms to get into. They're not the easiest. You don't read it and think, oh, that was fun. Uh, they're, they're kind of tricky, and you need to wrestle with them. Some of them are. Psalm 121 is someone's some people's favourites, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? It helps come to the maker of heaven and earth. But Psalm 120, I tell you now, is not the easiest to get into. You read it and think, what? what's God saying in that? But we have had an example this morning, so I might not need to preach much, because actually what, what you shared in that testimony is just Psalm 120. You know, and I'm going to ask actually what... I asked Chris, is it recorded? Because I'll ask for it, to, as long as you're happy, for it to be recorded along with a preach. Because actually that is what Psalm 120 is. 
Uh, and that's what I'm going to preach today. It's like, I'm in trouble, God. Like, I, I'm in distress. I don't know what to do. I've lost hope. It, 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 I, I don't get this. I, I, what's going on? And it's that calling out to the Lord in a place of distress. And that's what the whole sermon's going to be on. So if you want to go now, then uh, that's the message. Um, who, I, I will read Psalm 120. Did anyone watch the coronation yesterday? Yeah, I did not. Sorry. But I did read through in the morning and pray through the, some of uh, you know, the world leaders that were there. Uh, and I just pr- spent some time praying through some of them, some of the leaders of the, relig- of the faiths. Because it was such a gospel-saturated service. Colossians being read. Jesus, the only king, by a Hindu prime minister. Come on, Jesus. Let, that, let it saturate their hearts, King Jesus. Let it get in. Uh, and when they, they gave him, they gave Charles a book, a book which was the Bible. Did anyone catch what they said to him about the Bible? Sir, to keep you ever mindful of the law and of the gospel of God as a rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. Uh, that, that, they're saying that about the, the Bible, that we have the pleasure of opening and reading. Psalm, the Psalms of Ascent, I'm just going to do loads of introduction, because the Psalms of Ascent are um, 15 Psalms that the Israelites would have sung on their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a high point. And three times a year, they'd go up to Jerusalem to fast and to, to celebrate and to feast. Along the way, they would sing these 15 psalms. So these 15 psalms are things that Jesus would have sung on the way to Jerusalem. And, he'd have, and it, they cover so much discipleship, so much stuff about kind of this is the way that we're wrestling with God and living with God and the joy of God and the worship of God. And, the, and, and so that's what this series is all about. And I think it's so necessary. Amy brought a word a few weeks ago about the roots going deep down. And that's what discipleship is. Uh, and that's what these verses are all about. Let me stop introducing it and read Psalm 120. Psalm 120 in the message, it says this. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming? All of you bold-faced liars. Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. I'm doomed to live in Misha, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping amongst quarrelling neighbours. I'm all for peace, but the minute I tell you, tell them so, they go to war. This is a story of repentance. It's a story of turning to God. It's a, t- a story of realizing that uh, we are exiles in this world. We're people who are not of this world any longer. We, we've been made children of the Most High King, and yet we're still living in this world. We're still living surrounded by darkness and sin and difficult situations. Before the service, Colin gave me uh, this envelope. 
um, which has ideas for prayer and fasting, what we could pray into. I, I would hazard a guess that there's lots of troubles <laughs> in this envelope that we could pray into, you know, as situations for us to lift before the Lord. But, but you can't exist in this world without knowing that there's troubles, whether big international things, the things going on in Sudan at the minute, the things that are happening in Russia and Ukraine. You know, you can't live in this world without thinking, oh, there's wars and rumours of wars. There's earthquakes, there's famines, there's, there's a shortage of water. There's, there's all sorts of things internationally going on which can trouble our souls, which should trouble our souls. We should be a people who are troubled by these things. There's relational difficulties closer to home as well. You know, like we, we, we have relationship problems. I do anyway, often. You know, you have tentious things where you have to talk with people and talk things through. Things aren't always easy. There's troubles around us. I was with a, a friend yesterday. Um, I'm, I, I won't say his name. But he, he's a guy who's just come to faith. I play hockey with him. I, I used to play hockey with him. I played hockey for the first time yesterday, so if I'm limping, I apologise. Or I couldn't sit down before because my back was hurting. But, but Amit is... <laughs> Amit, I would say his name. I've said his name now. He, he's a guy who... Um, he was far from God for a long time. I've known him for about 10 years, probably. And he, he was into drinking, into women, into, you know the life that the world has to offer. And then during lockdown, he um, broke up with a long-term girlfriend, um, and then he was isolated anyway because of all the stuff going on. And, and then he started getting into politics and thinking, oh, maybe that's where the answer is. But, but actually, do you know, there was a lot of contentious issues during COVID in politics. Uh, and actually, he started getting, getting down the line of thinking, oh, politics doesn't have the answer. There isn't, what is the answer? And he started asking all of these questions. And then a, a, a great guy called Mark, who I play hockey with, he's been a faithful friend to these guys, just hangs out with them. Uh, lots of them don't know Jesus. And, and he just invited him to an alpha course. And he just said, I found this peace that I cannot give an answer for. I found God. I don't have all the answers, but I found God. This is a man. God is working. This is like two months ago that he came to faith. He was telling me his story yesterday, and it's just incredible. But what happened to him? He realized that this world doesn't have the answers. He realized that the politicians don't have the answers, that the king doesn't have that answer, that, that the things that we rely on, they don't have the answer. They are not the answer. There is only one place you can go for the answer. And it's not just for non-Christians becoming Christians, although we have all have those stories, but I think there's actually a thing of Christians as well. We should be unsettled people. There should be a peace, a level of peace, but actually there should be an unsettledness about the way life is. There's this quote from A.W. Tozer. It's a bit, he, he's a great writer, but he goes right for the heart. So, this quote on the next slide, it says this. The weakness of so many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. In their effort to achieve restful adjustment to unregener unregenerate society, they have lost their pilgrim character and become an essential part of the very moral order 
which, they sent, which they're sent to protest. The world recognises them and accepts them for what they are. And this is the saddest thing that can be said about them. They are not lonely, but neither are they saints. It goes right, he doesn't hang back. He says it like it is. We shouldn't just be living settled, easy lives. We shouldn't just be happy and satisfied because the world is dark. What does it say in, in, John, uh, in 1 John 2.15? It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pressure, pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This world is a fading away, along with everything, but anyone who does not please God, but anyone who, <laughs> who does not do what pleases God will live forever. There should be an unsettledness in our spirits. We shouldn't just love everything that's going on around us in our society. We shouldn't just be comfortable and happy. And this is where the pilgrim's journey, the disciple's journey, really begins. And it continues again and again and again, and it comes up again and again. You, you start, I was just on a prayer walk the other day, and I was just praying through a load of things, and these things come to mind, and you just think, oh, God, why? Like, why is this happening? What's going on? Like, there's so many troubles for us to pray into, so many things. Now, we have to balance that verse in, in 1 John, because in John, the same writer says, for God so loved the world. And actually, it should be our love driving us, love for the world, to drive us to pray for the change of the world. And this is where the psalm that we're talking about spins on its head. Oh, sorry, just to mention, uh, Kedar and Meshach, does anyone know where they were? No? No, I don't either. They were far away, they were distant places, but they were, they were people of unrest, people who didn't know God, people who didn't follow God. Uh, and the, the psalmist is saying, I'm living amongst these quarrelling neighbours, I'm living amongst difficult people, I, I'm living in this place. And, and it's the same as each one of us. We're living in and amongst people constantly who don't know Jesus and don't submit themselves to him. But the point where this psalm turns on its head is the calling out to God. It is the, uh, the turn of heart. I'm not satisfied with the lies of this culture. And so I turn around and I look to God. That's what this, this is. And that's effectively what repentance is. Repentance is, the word actually means a turning around. So it's, you're going one way, you're looking at things, you're troubled by them, and actually, repentance is turning around to walk towards God instead of the troubles. And that's what this is. It's uh, the people saying, there's all these troubles, but I'm going to turn around, I'm going to look to God. That's what Alex's testimony said. There's all this trouble, there's all this difficulty. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to look to God. I'm going to turn to him. And that, that is where it is. And on a discipleship journey, you'll have these stories come up again and again, where God pierces your heart. Does, does anyone watch The Chosen? If you've not watched The Chosen, you should watch The Chosen. It's a wonderful series 
just depicts the life of Jesus. And some of it's great and some of it's not. But it's a great way of just thinking, is this the way, um, is this the way it was or not? And it can just make you reflect on that. But there, I was just watching season three, the first one on Friday night, uh, and it's Jesus telling the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and the story is that all the disciples were standing around listening to, to Jesus preaching this Sermon on the Mount, and all of them are having these little revelation moments, like, I've not forgiven that person. Uh, I'm, in, I'm not repenting of that. I'm not, I, I, and God is just, like, constantly, Jesus is speaking in, into their heart. And that is, that is what this is. This is a discipleship journey where God pierces our heart for something, and then he gives us a decision to whether we turn to him and whether we obey the words that he's speaking. So in that story, in The Chosen, uh, Matthew, the disciple, has to go and apologize to his mum and dad for his past because he had hurt them. He has to choose to go after what God has for him. He has to choose to step into the discipleship journey again and afresh. And each one of us will have these moments. And I, I just want to question you, like, when was the last time Jesus pierced your heart with his word? And he made you think, actually, no, I need, I need to turn around. I, I need to change. I need to transform. I need to, because it's a constant journey. The pilgrim's journey, the discipleship journey, the journey on this world is a constant journey. It's not kind of, yeah, I know Jesus, I'm saved, all is good, hunky-dory. It's a journey towards him of being changed and transformed from one degree of glory to another, into his likeness. And that's what this psalm is all about. When it talks about pointed arrows and burning coals, it's talking about the, the judgment of God. It's talking about him being a judge. And I think it's really important for us to realize and recognize that God is a judge. God is the judge. And he will judge at the end of time. And we will all stand before the throne of God and face the judgment of God. But he's also a, a merciful God. And that's why he came and sent Jesus. That's why he came to die on a cross to, to give us salvation. And each one of us who knows Jesus will be, will be saved through the work of Jesus. But these pointed arrows and burning coals speak of God's judgment. And I believe God judges now in order to transform hearts. I believe that's what God does. He, he brings us to a revelation of God is judge. God is judging me. He's piercing me on this issue in order to turn around our hearts. When I think of the burning coals, there's another reference in Isaiah where it talks about the burning coal coming out of the fire onto the lips of Isaiah in order to purify him. And I think that's what God is doing now in, in this day and age. He, he, he makes us realize our sinfulness. He makes us realize our weakness. Our, and he judges us in order to purify us, to make us pure in his sight to change us, to transform us, to take us on that journey. So that's what the pointed arrows and the burning coals are about, but they're not just for us, they're for the people around us as well. And so actually the, the burning coals and the pointed arrows here are talking about towards other people outside as well. God will judge the people around us and, 
and actually he's he's doing that now in order to trans- like Amit's story. Amit's story is one of being pierced. I I've lived the wrong way, and it's not the like. And actually, God places us in those places with these people all around us who need Jesus to come in and to bring His grace and forgiveness, to bring His power in. God is really, really at work. Now, I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't talk about this without moving on to a slightly different topic, but it really relates. Uh, and it's about strongholds. It's about spiritual strongholds. Because this is what 2 Corinthians says. I think it's up on the screen. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, a stronghold, does anyone know what a stronghold is in an old city? So an old city would be a walled city, uh, and there were no planes and things that would come across the bomb at that point. It would be fortified, the walls. But the enemy would have to try and get into those walled cities. And then each city uh, would have within it a little fortress, a stronghold. You might have seen it on Lord of the Rings. I think it is on Lord of the Rings. Anyway, let's not go there. That's, that's fiction. <coughs> but basically that the whole of the town, the whole of the city can retreat to and it can be guarded by three soldiers. So if the enemy gets into the city, then everyone retreats to the stronghold. So that's what a stronghold is a place where you retreat to that is walled and easy to guard. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because I believe that we have strongholds. The 2 Corinthians is talking about strongholds in our thinking, in our minds, that we go back to, that are strongholds which are negative ways of thinking. So we retreat to these strongholds when there's pressure coming in on us, when there's anxieties coming in on us, there's ways of thinking that we can think, oh, this is awful, I am awful, this is rubbish. And we can, we can create these ways of thinking which are strongholds for the enemy. Because if the enemy can allow you to think in a certain way about yourself or about a situation, then it stops you believing the truth of the kingdom. You start to believe the lies that are around you. Now, the thing is that we, we all grow up in culture. We all grow up in culture that doesn't worship Jesus. And it's education, and it's, and it's the way that it teaches. The, the, in the British culture, there's a cynicism about it. There's a, there's a, um, a kind of a sarcastic way about us, which, which can become strongholds. They can become ways that we react in order to guard ourselves from going into the hurt in order to have God break in with his truth. Does that make sense? 
Now, I believe that we all have to be aware that we might have strongholds in our thinking, some lies that we've believed, lies that in Psalm 120 are being spoken to us or have been spoken over us or to us that have made us think in certain ways that have stopped us from believing the full truth about God. And I think we should, we should all just be aware of that. Because actually our thinking, we have to submit our thinking to the power of God. We have to, it says, we have to submit the thoughts to Christ and make them obedient to him. And I just want to challenge you. Next time you find yourself thinking negatively about yourself, next time you find yourself thinking something that's a lie or not true, or, or you kind of know it's a lie, I want you to do this. I want you to take it captive. It's coming in. Take it captive. And then think about, well, this is the lie that I'm believing. What's the truth? How do I make it obedient to Christ? How do I make it obedient to Christ? Some of the action is is recognising when we're thinking like this. And sometimes you don't recognise it. And you need brothers and sisters around you who will then challenge you to think, well, does the way you're thinking... Does that honour Christ? Is it obedient to Christ? I'll give you an example, just to make it really simple. Um, and this isn't, it's not nice. Spiritual strongholds are not nice things. But I, I realised a while ago that I had begun to really dislike somebody. Really, really dislike them. Probably to the point of hate. That's, that's true. Like uh, I don't think I've ever hated anyone before, but I think I'd got to that place of really hating them. And I was just like, this is really bad. This, I should not feel and think this. I should. And I think it had become a stronghold in unforgiveness. I think I had not forgiven them for some things that they'd, some pain that they'd caused me. And I remember at Upper Room Academy, I just told them, I just told, uh, not them, uh, I told a, a group of guys that we, I was with, Upper Room Academy is brilliant, by the way, and I just said to them, I think, I, I think I've moved to hating someone, and I need to confess that sin. I need to repent. I need to turn from it. Can you pray for me? And I believe they prayed for me, and a spiritual stronghold broke in that moment. I, I believe forgiveness came. I, I, I felt completely different. The situation hasn't changed. The person hasn't changed. But I believe God broke down a stronghold in my thinking that I'd allowed to form. And I think that, that is something that is really significant for me because I look back on that and I think, wow, God broke something within me. God is good. When you, when you turn to him, that action of turning to him, and he works and breaks down those things. Another thing that, that we have in our culture is a godlessness. A kind of like, we can do it in our own strength. Let's go, let's go. And I think we can take that on to us as well and try to do things in our, constantly in our own strength and try and control situations and try and, I'll, I'll, I'll manage that. And then only at the last minute we, we think, okay, we need to go to God. And that's probably because in our culture, British culture is godless. The Western culture is godless. And it's aiming to be that. I remember I was on this boat. This is the last one I'm going to tell. But I was on a boat in Vietnam and we were in Halong Bay. Has anyone been to Halong Bay? Oh, my word. No one? No? Wow, that's like one of the most spectacular. Go to Halong Bay, everyone. It's wonderful. I'll be a tour guide for you. Um, It's basically you're on a boat and then in the sea there's all these mountains and big 
things and you're going through, and it's like incredible. Anyway, not the point. Go there. I was reading Psalm 103. I was reading it on a Kindle because I didn't want the other people on the boat to, to be asking me. I was shy, maybe, about reading the Bible in that setting. Um, but the tour guide, who was a Vietnamese guy, said to me, oh, what are you reading? I was like, oh. <laughs> can't keep anything secret, can you? Um, and I just said, oh, I'm reading Psalm 103. And it just talks about the glory of God and how magnificent he is. And when I'm in this setting, it just makes me think, wow, God, you are good. Um, and this German guy pipes up behind me, said, we're beyond God. We're beyond the need of him. I just thought, if that's, if that's your view, that's the culture, that's the worldview that you live in, that you think you're beyond God. The Vietnamese guy started chatting to me, started asking loads of questions, started being interesting. And I spent the evening with him just chatting through the Bible, chatting through the gospel, and he came to know Jesus. Amen. And I just think the German guy walked off left because he was unwilling to admit that Jesus, because of his worldview, because of his stronghold in his worldview, that Jesus was no longer necessary. The Vietnamese guy who is not post-Christian, who's not was hungry to hear the gospel, and the gospel broke in. He was willing to look to God. And I just think we need to be careful that our worldview isn't shaped based on a godless culture. We need to think, God, you are good. God, you're mighty. God, you're powerful. God, you're awesome. I think there's, uh, is Robin around, Robin and Helen. We're going to go into some worship now. But I think there was one more kind of stronghold that I just wanted to just to put out there that I think might have got into some of our thinking. And this is a, it's a stronghold of having a small view of ourselves. It's a stronghold of thinking, oh, I'm insignificant. It's a stronghold of thinking, I don't have any value. I don't bring anything into this room. Why am I even here? It's a stronghold of thinking, I have no value. I am not important. I think that gets into our thinking. I think it's quite a British thing to think. But it doesn't line up with what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that you are a child of the King. That he placed so much value on you that he would come down and die for you. You are so valuable to him. And you're so valuable to him that he's left you on this world as an exile, as a child of God, as a missionary for him. That's how much high value he places on you. He's put his kingdom within you. He's come to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He values you. He delights in you. The truth is that he takes great delight in you. The truth is that you are here for a purpose today on this earth. That God has purposes in his plans for you that God has placed you in the neighbourhoods that you live in, that God has placed you in the time that you live in, that God has placed you in the workplace that you, you work in, that God has placed you in the families that you are in. And he has infinite power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. You are not insignificant. 
You are not insignificant. You are, you are the king's child out on the king's duty. And you are here to break down spiritual strongholds. And you are here to bring his kingdom in. And I just want to pray just as Robin starts, just if everyone could stand up. I want to pray and give that to God. God, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you have opened our eyes to you, King Jesus. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, King Jesus. I thank you that you value us so much, Lord Jesus, that you, you would come and live inside of us, Lord Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead would live within us, Lord. I thank you that your kingdom, Lord Jesus, is upon us, Lord Jesus. And you have sent us out, Lord Jesus, to be kingdom bringers, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we we say sorry. We say sorry for where we have believed the lie of the enemy, Lord Jesus, that we're small and insignificant. And I pray and ask you to break the power of the enemy over us now, Lord Jesus. I pray that you break the stronghold over us, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you'd help us to, to begin believing, Lord Jesus, that you've called us for significant ministry, Lord Jesus, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, Lord Jesus. Come in your mighty power, King Jesus. Transform us, Lord. We turn to you, Lord. We choose to turn to you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.